Well, good morning, Gateway family. Great to see you on this Sunday before Thanksgiving. Find Psalm number 66 this morning. Psalm number 66. As we approach our Thanksgiving celebrations with our families and friends this week, we're going to spend this Sunday and next Sunday looking at a genre type of psalms known as the Thanksgiving psalms. It's very fitting for the time of year and the celebrations that we will be having. Friends, as you think about giving thanks and what's going to be happening, hopefully not just this week, but all year long, I want to ask you, have you ever heard someone give thanks? And if you're honest, what they were saying was very selfish and self-focused. But have you ever heard someone give thanks in such a way that when they finished speaking, your hearts were turned to the goodness of God? What made the difference? Also, have you ever heard someone give thanks, but soon before or soon after that, they were pretty discontent? Have you ever heard someone who consistently gave thanks on the good days and the hard days, and they just were consistently thankful? What made the difference? Friends, those questions allude to two different dangers that there are in terms of our thanksgiving, giving thanks for things we've received. The first danger in thanksgiving is, our, is the danger of being self-focused. It's very possible to, even in uttering words of thanks, to make it about us and what we have in ourselves. I think of Luke 18, when you have the religious leader standing up going, God, I thank you. I'm not like this person over here. He was expressing a word of thanks from a very selfish, sinful heart. It's very possible for us, even as believers, to get focused on what we have and not on the one who gave it. And to have thanksgiving being expressed, but it'd be very selfish and self-focused. There's a second danger as well I was alluding to in those questions. That's only being thankful in ideal circumstances. Only finding things to be thankful for when we're healthy and our relationships are intact and our bank balances are good and God's answering prayers the way we want And again, in that, we're focused on what we've received, not on the giver of all things. Friends, how do we, this Thanksgiving season, but all the time, keep those dangers from happening? How do we give thanks in a way that honors God and doesn't make it about us? And how do we give thanks always in all circumstances, even on the hard days? Friends, that's the beauty of the Psalms that shows us. We're going to see this morning from Psalm 66. I'm going to go and tell you what we're going to see before we get into it. It's simply this, that our awe and worship of God fuels true thanksgiving. That all in worship of God fuels true thanksgiving. If we want thanksgiving that's true, that's not about us, but about the giver. If we want thanksgiving that is not circumstantial, that is consistent on the good days and in the heart, that's only going to come from a heart that's in awe and worshiping God. Friends, if we want true thanksgiving, we need to be in awe and worship of God and let that overflow then into our thanksgiving. That's what we're seeing in Psalm 66 this morning. There's two sections of Psalm 66. Some people have tried to argue there's actually two psalms put together, but no, it's really just one. The first 12 verses of Psalm 66 are going to be a corporate assembly. God's people together praising God. Much of what we've just been doing. Singing to God of His greatness as they stand in awe of who He is. Then in verse 13, you're going to see as we read in just a minute, something changes. A single person stands up. In the midst of assembly and begins to give thanks to God. He's so in awe of God for who God is. He's so overwhelmed in their worship of God that he stands up and gives thanks to God for what God has done for him personally. I want you to see that all in worship of God in the first 12 verses flows out and fuels true thanksgiving in verses 13 to 20. So I want you to look for that as we read. Can I ask you to stand please in honor of the reading of the word of God and the treasure that we have in God's revelation to us. I'll be reading out the English Standard Version. The words will also be on the screen. Psalm number 66. To the choir master, a song, a psalm. 
Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Give to Him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Selah. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in His deeds towards the children of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in Him, who rules by His might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of His praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You've tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house of burnt offerings. I'll perform my vows to you. That which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I'll offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Selah. Come and hear, all you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word, or we thank you that you've shown yourself to us. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would show us what it looks like to be your worshipers who give thanks to you for all that you've done. Lord, would you grow us and deepen us in our ability to thank you because of all that you have done and show us from your word what that looks like, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Again, I want you to see this morning that all in worship of God should be what fuels our true thanksgiving. So let's start with the foundation of this psalm. That's being in awe and worship of God. And we've seen this over and over in the Psalms, friend. It's a theme throughout it. You see worshipers pondering the character of God and being so overwhelmed with who God is that they cannot contain, that they have to express outwardly this sense of amazement at who God is and who he's shown himself to be. That's exactly what's happening here once again, as we've seen in so many of the other Psalms. Go back to verse 1. Shout for joy to God. You see the excitement here, the the psalmist, whoever it is, we do not know who wrote this one, is overwhelmed at who God is, and he literally shouts for joy. His heart is so full at who God is, he has to exclaim, not quietly, but he's shouting for joy to God and his worship to God. And what makes him stand in such awe? Well, verse 2, sing the glory of his name. And we've seen this over and over in the Psalms. Name represents all that God is. It's not just his literal name, it's everything encompassed in his character and who he is. Literally, this person is sitting there thinking about the character of God, the glory of God, and he's so overwhelmed he has to shout out in amazement and awe at who God is. Now, there's much included in the name of God, much included in the attributes or characteristics of God. But in the psalm, there's five that are highlighted. These are not new. We've seen this in many of the other psalms. But I want us to quickly look at them just to see the awe of God for who he is. We can never be reminded too much of the character of our God. Five things that leads this particular worshiper to shouting for joy at God. Number one is that God is glorious. That God is glorious. Verse two, we just read, sing the glory of his name. Glory literally means beauty or brightness 
majesty. It's the brilliance that surrounds God. It's the sum of all that he is. This worshiper is going, as I think about the sum of who you are, God, and your brilliance and your brightness, I cannot help but shout to you because you are so brilliant. You are so beautiful. You are so bright. You are so majestic. God is glorious. Number two, God is omnipotent. We've talked about that before, but it means he's all-powerful, that he's praising God because God is God who is all-powerful. Verse 3, say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. The psalmist here is thinking about all that he has seen that God has done. He is thinking about God's work in creation and speaking a billion trillion stars into existence. He's thinking about God delivering his people through miracles and signs and wonders to get them to the land. He's thinking about all the miracles God has done. And he sees the power of God on display everywhere he turns. And he praises the only all-powerful being in all that there is. He praises God for his great power. So he praises God for his glory. He praises God for his power. Number three, he praises God for his grace. For his grace. That God is a God full of grace. Grace, remember, is giving people what they don't deserve. That God is a gracious God who gives to people things they do not deserve. Look at verses 5 and 6 here. Come, see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There do we rejoice in him. And what's he talking about? These are two Old Testament references. Crossing the sea on dry ground. This is Exodus 14 and 15. When God's people have been slaves in Egypt and God miraculously delivers them from Egypt, they get to the Red Sea and they're trapped with an ocean on one side. And here comes the Egyptian army after them wanting to make them slaves again. What does God do? He separates the ocean and they cross on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and a wall of water on their left. They pass through and he's remembering that God turned the sea into dry land. In the next part of the verse, they pass through the river on foot. This is Joshua 3, when God's taking his people into the promised land. He stops the water so the Israelites could cross into the land. Now, he's mentioning these two things not to be exclusive, but to be an example of God's grace at work in his people's life. That God takes an undeserving people like Israel, rescues them from their slavery as an act of mercy, but then gives them a land that does not belong to them as an incredible act of grace to them. And it's a picture of God's grace at work in his people's lives. And it should remind us as well, friends, that today we're undeserving. We're sinners who've offended a holy God. Yet God in his mercy forgives us of our sin in Christ, but then he gives us every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. He's blessed us with grace upon grace upon grace. And it should lead us like this psalmist to worship God, a God who's glorious, a God who's powerful, and a God who is full of grace towards us. Number four, though, he's worshiping God in awe of God because God is sovereign. Again, we've seen this before in the Psalms. This is nothing new, but sovereign means the right and ability to rule. We say God is sovereign. That means he's the only true God, and he is the one who rules over everything, over every person, over every being, over every inch of the cosmos. God is a sovereign ruler. Verse 7 is alluded to here as well. Who? God rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. That the psalmist is thinking about the greatness of God and is reminded there's nothing that happens outside the control of God. God's never up in heaven saying, oops, or, oh, I didn't see that coming, or I didn't mean for that to happen. God is absolutely sovereign over all things. But as the psalmist thinks about that, it leads to number five in the character of God. If God is sovereign over all things, he's also just. And this has some pretty serious implications for it. That God, who is holy and perfect and will always do what is right, must judge every sin. There in verse seven, the last part, there's a warning here. Let not the rebellious 
exalt themselves. Rebellious being those who oppose God, those who don't believe in him, those who think they're okay and are going to live their life not submitted to God's rule. The rebellious may think they're okay now, but the psalmist warns, don't exalt yourself. The day is coming when you realize that you did, you did need God and you should have followed him. Go back to verse 3. That day is referenced here. Say to God how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. But the day is coming to when those who have rejected God and do not believe in him, when they see the face of their creator, it will be a day of absolute terror for them because they come face to face with a holy God and they will be judged for their sin. As the psalmist thinks about all these aspects of God, that he's just, that he's sovereign, that he's full of grace, that he's all-powerful, and he's glorious, he's overwhelmed at the bigness, the grandness of God. He shouts for joy that he gets to know this God and gets to worship this God and gets to serve this God. And friends, that all of God and worship of God then overflows into true thanksgiving. Again, the scene here changes in verse 13. Again, I use a little imagination here. You have all the worshipers standing around singing to God. And all of a sudden, in the midst of it, it goes quiet. And one guy stands up and begins to speak as everyone else listens. That is what is happening here. Uh, this man stands up and speaks to God first, and he speaks to those around. And notice how he's giving thanks when he's speaking to God and speaking to others. First, look at him speak to God, verses 13 to 15. He says in the midst of this, all the worshipers, I will come into your house of burnt offerings. I'll perform my vows to you. That which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Now let me say here, you may not see the word thanksgiving. In our culture, this may seem really strange as well. Wait, he's doing what? He's going to start burning animals to God? But in the context of the time, the Jewish hearers would clearly understand he's standing up to give thanks to God. God is so real to him and so personal. He wants to thank God for what God has personally done for him. And he chooses to do so in this manner here. He says he's making vows to God. He's making an offering because he had vowed to God to do this. Now, let me clarify here for us on this. He said he made a vow in a difficult situation. When you see this, and our minds can quickly run to, he's trying to manipulate God. He's doing it. Well, God, if you do this, I will do this. That's not what's happening here. God cannot be manipulated. God cannot be threatened. We can't bargain with God. We have nothing to bargain with God with because we have nothing apart from what God has already given to us. God is sovereign. God does what God wants. What you see when you see vows in the Old Testament here were people making a personal commitment to the Lord. It's a person not trying to manipulate God, but rather in faith saying, God, I'm in a really tough place, but I believe you're all powerful and you're good and you're going to bring me through this in the right time. And to show that when you bring me through, I will continue to worship you with this thanksgiving. It was an act of faith and thanksgiving once God had brought them through the difficulty, not a thing of manipulation to get God to change his mind. He's standing up saying, I'm going to give God thanks. I promised God I would thank him when he got me through this period, and God did because God is faithful. Now I want to give thanks to him, and I'm going to give thanks to him by making a burnt offering of fat animals. I'm going to burn them. We're going to burn rams and bulls and goats. Why in the world is he doing this? There's a burnt offering was total. The worshiper got absolutely nothing back. He put everything on the altar before the Lord. It was to be a symbol, a sign to show God that I'm giving you everything. My heart is so thankful for all you've done that I'm going to give you the best that can be given. And we're going to burn it so that it all goes up to you. And it's a picture of total surrender to God, total thankfulness to God and giving him the best of everything. 
And so you have this one worshiper here in the midst of all the people praising God, standing up and saying, God, I want to thank you for all that you've done, and I'm going to show it with this offering. But he doesn't stop there. He begins to speak to the others in the assembly as well. Look at verse 16 here. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. This is incredible. In the midst of the masses of the people, he doesn't just thank God for what he's received. He begins to tell others, I want to tell you what God has done. This is God we're focused. It's not about him. He's trying to stir the hearts of the other worshipers to look to God as well and be encouraged at how God answers prayer, how God moves on the behalf of his people. Like we see in the Psalms to encourage them how a God who's so great and vast is also near and good and close and responds to our prayers. Friends, his awe and worship at the character of God leads him to a place of thanksgiving expressed to God and expressed to others. Friends, if you think about that, thanksgiving that comes from worship, thanksgiving that's the overflow of an awe of God, it's going to be radically different than a lot of what we call thanksgiving today. I'm going to give you three ways I believe that thanksgiving that stems from awe and worship is so different. And I think these are really important. I hope you'll think on these this Thanksgiving season. We see this in this psalm here. Friends, thanksgiving that comes from awe and worship of God, first of all, recognizes our own unworthiness. Because if we are thanking God out of a place of worshiping Him and pondering His holiness and His justice and His greatness and His sovereignty and all those things, and we begin to thank Him for what He's done for us, we stand at a place not of worthiness thinking, I'm entitled to this. We come from a place of unworthiness. When we see the character of God, we're reminded we deserve nothing from Him except judgment. We've sinned against him. We've offended him. And we don't deserve even our breath in life today. Even our life is not deserved. We deserve nothing except for judgment from him. And yet God in his mercy gives us life. He gives us salvation. He gives us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Go back to verses 8 and 9 in this psalm. This is still the corporate assembly of the people praising God. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Who, God, has kept our soul among the living. He has not let our feet slip. In the midst of the praise, the person saying, I wouldn't even have life today apart from God. God's the only reason that I have life today. My feet haven't slipped into death. That my soul is even alive today. It is God. Friends, if our life is not even a right but a gift, then everything else we have is also not a right but a gift as well. Our health our relationships, our jobs, our finances, our homes, this church, our friends, God's presence with us, anything we have is completely undeserved. We've done nothing to earn it from God, yet in his mercy and his grace that flows out of his heart of grace and mercy, he gives it to us. And as we think about that, it deepens our thanksgiving because we can give thanks for everything we have, even small, simple blessings, because we don't deserve those. We deserve nothing from God. So if we let our thanksgiving come from an awe and worship of God, it reminds us of our own unworthiness. But number two, thanksgiving that comes from all in worship lets us be thankful even on the hard days. It lets us be thankful on the hard days. If we let our thanksgiving flow not from our circumstances, but from worship, then we can be thankful on the good days and the hard alike. As we think about the attributes of God and we worship God for his sovereignty and his power, we're reminded that he is sovereign over all things. That God's never up in heaven going, oops, I didn't see that coming to you. Sorry, God doesn't do that. He is all-powerful and the sovereign one. That means even our hard days, even our trials are being used in the sovereign hand of God. 
doesn't mean he'll tell us how it's all supposed to work out. It doesn't mean we have to understand it, but it means that we trust him because he's big and sovereign and good. And so we can thank God even in the hard times. Look at verses 11 and 12 here. This is very popular today. Verse 11, he's speaking to God. You, God, brought us into the net. You, God, laid a crushing burden on our backs. You, God, let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Now, my hunch is I've never seen that framed in your house, like we've talked about before with other trials. This is not that verse that we sell books for and that gets published and becomes a New York Times bestseller in Christian books about God throwing nets on us and things. What is this about? Well, summed up with that phrase, fire and water. It's not literally fire and water. These represent extremes. He's painting a picture for us that in this life we will have trials of many kinds. Trials of different types. What James 1 describes, that we will have trials of many kinds, of various kinds in this life. Friends, contrary to what a lot of people like to hear today, God has not promised for life to be easy. God's goal for my life and your life is not an easy life and to get us from birth to death in the safest, happiest, easiest, most comfortable way possible. We will receive trials in life from the hands of God. How in the world can we be thankful for that? We'll go back to verse 10 that introduces those verses. For you, O God, have tested us. You've tried us as silver is tried. So why does God in his sovereign power allow his children to have nets thrown on them and burdens on their back and go through fire and water and various trials? Why in the world does God do that? Verse 10 here explains that he's trying us as silver. Friends, for silver to be useful for its purpose, it has to be pure. But silver doesn't start off pure. It's a metal that's dirty and has a lot of things in it that shouldn't be in it. So what do they do with silver? They heat it up under intense heat. As it melts, the impurities rise to the surface and they push them off and it rehardens as it cools off and it's more pure. But it's still not completely pure, so they heat it up again. And the impurities rise up and they push those off, it cools off, and it's more pure. But still not pure, so they heat it up again. And then over and over, this process is repeated. And then with each heating, the silver becomes more and more and more pure. Do you see the image of what's being painted here? God doesn't promise our lives will be easy. Rather, in his sovereign power, he allows hardships in our life because he's using it to purify us. He's using it to conform us to Christ's likeness. He is making us more and more into who he has created us to be. And if we can understand that, we can be thankful even in those hard days because God is working in them to refine us like the silver here. This was a theme throughout all of Scripture. I want you to see it in one place in the New Testament. Well, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, because there's a similar analogy here that Peter uses. He says, in this you rejoice. Now, get that word in mind. He's painting a picture of us rejoicing. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by one trial? Various trials. Same idea here, the water and the fire. That In this life, it's necessary for us to have trials of various kinds. Now, to verse 7, why are we able to rejoice in the different trials of life? So that, here's the reason we can rejoice and find something to be thankful for on the hard days. The tested genuineness of your faith. Now, sound like Psalm 66 here? You're being tested. More precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a theme throughout all of Scripture that God refines His people. Just like the image of metal being refined, that God in His sovereign power and love and goodness allows us to be tried and tested so that He can conform us more and more to the image of Christ. That doesn't mean we have to enjoy the hardships. doesn't mean we go looking for the hardships. doesn't mean we have to be thankful for the trials. But we can be thankful that in the trials, God is bigger and God is working. 
And we can be thankful in the trials that God is with us, but he's the one ultimately refining us, enables us to do what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Give thanks on the good days, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. No? Give thanks in some circumstances. Give thanks in how many circumstances? All. That word all in the Greek means all. That means the good days and the hard days. That means when the bank account balances are good and when they're not, when our health is good and when our health is not, we can find things to be thankful for because our thanks is not rooted in our circumstances. Our thanks is the overflow of our all and worship of God. And if we can anchor ourselves in that, friends, on the good days and in the heart alike, we can still find things to thank God for because he's bigger than our circumstances, and yet he's sovereign in using our circumstances to make us into who he wants us to be. Thanksgiving that comes from awe of God is a deep thanksgiving because we realize how unworthy we are. But a thanksgiving that comes from an awe of God enables us to be thankful in all circumstances because it's not based on our circumstances. It's based on the sovereign one over it all. But number three, lastly, I want you to see that a thanksgiving that comes from an awe of God reminds us those blessings that we're thankful for are not ours to monopolize. That the blessings that we're so thankful for are not ours to monopolize. And that's one of the great dangers when we give thanks. We're so excited about what God has done for us that we want to give thanks for it, but we can so quickly lose sight of the fact that God gives us these things not just because it's all about us or because we're so worthy, because we're so amazing, because we're not. Thanksgiving that comes from the awe of God reminds us those things that we're thankful for are not ours to monopolize. Go over one column in your Bible to Psalm 67. We looked at this a few weeks back, but I want to remind us of this. Psalm 67 is a prayer. It's a good prayer to pray if we pray the whole prayer. Remember verse 1, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That's a great prayer to pray, friends. Provide and remember why we're praying it. The problem is so often we pray that and we stop. But verse 2, remember verse 2 of Psalm 67? So that, here's the reason we pray for blessings. So that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. God blesses us because he has a bigger purpose. He wants us to use our blessings to serve other people to make him known. Now go back to Psalm 66. It's the same thing here. The things that we're thankful for God doing, the blessings that we receive from God were given to us by him for a reason. And that reason is still to serve other people and make him known. The blessings are not ours to monopolize. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 66 from today. Shout for joy to God. How much of the earth? All the earth. God's plan, God's desire is for all of the earth to worship him, to find the joy that we have today, and for others to shout that to the Lord. That day will come, verse 4. This, this is a prophetic verse in verse 4. This is future tense. This has not happened yet. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. This has not happened yet, friends. That's why we pray for unreached people groups in the service here. We are longing for the day that all the earth worships God. Now, how does that day happen? When God works through us, stirs our heart to see this happen, and we begin to take the blessings that he's given to us, and we use them to make him known. This Thanksgiving, friends, those very things that we are so thankful for are gifts from God, not for us to monopolize, but for us to make him known so that verse 4 happens, so the day comes that all the earth worships him and sings praises to him. So, friends, if we let all in worship fuel our Thanksgiving of God, we'll be incredibly thankful because we'll see our own unworthiness. We'll be thankful even in the hard times because we know a sovereign God is working good. And we will see God's purposes and we will use those things we're thankful for, for his purposes, so that he is glorified and worshipped. All in worship of God should fuel our 
true thanksgiving. So for instance, Thanksgiving week, I want to ask you, what are you thankful for? What are the things you typically, your mind goes to when you think of giving thanks? Like tonight in our Thanksgiving dinner, when we sit around the tables and tell each other what we're thankful for. You can go ahead and be thinking about that because you'll do that tonight around the tables. But as we do that, what are the things you're thankful for? Are we thankful just for circumstantially? Are we coming to a place of thanksgiving because we're in such awe and worship of God that is overflowing? We see his hand at work in all situations. Friends, what are you thankful for this Thanksgiving? And is it coming from a place of awe and worship? I hope you'll reflect on that this week. But we also have a chance to reflect on it right now. Communion, a celebration of Thanksgiving, a sacred moment in the life of the church. This is a Thanksgiving meal. We are worshiping God. We are saying thank you to God for all that he has done. It's like we saw in the psalm today, we deserve nothing from God. We don't even deserve life today. But God in his mercy and grace has given us life. He's given us salvation in Christ. He's given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And communion reminds us how that's possible. That you and I aren't getting to God in our own merits, and our own strength. There's nothing you and I can do to get to God. But God in his mercy has come to us. Communion reminds us of Christ's body. It was broken for the forgiveness of our sins. The juice reminds us of his blood that was poured out on the cross as he took the wrath of God, the wrath that I deserve and the wrath that you deserve. As he took that upon himself. See, as we even talked about the holiness of God, God is so holy, he can't overlook sin. He can't wink at it. He can't say, oh, that person's okay. I like it. Every sin has to be punished in his justice. Neither we bear it or Christ bears it in our place. And this reminds us that we don't have to bear that because Christ has taken it for us, that Christ has borne the penalty for us. It's a sacred moment for us to pause and to be thankful to God, to worship Him, to be in awe of Him, that He has loved us with such mercy and such grace that He did what was impossible. He took unworthy sinners like us, and He forgave us by sending His own Son to take the penalty we deserve. But can I remind us as well that as we take this, it reminds us not just that our sins are forgiven, but it reminds us that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, that when Christ died, not just was our sin put on him, but all of Christ's righteousness was put on us. So when we approach God, the Father sees us covered in Christ's righteousness. We come to the Father with a righteousness not our own. Righteousness has come because our sin was put on Christ and his righteousness was put on us. It's very fitting that before we do our Thanksgiving meals at church tonight, before we do our family and friends celebrations this week in Thanksgiving, that we get to pause this morning and thank God for the salvation we have. His mercy that forgives us of our sin and his grace that gives us every spiritual blessing in the heavens. I want to remind us what this is all about. First Corinthians chapter 11. I'll have this, the verse on the screen for you. I just want to remind you why we're doing this. First Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received from the Lord what I delivered to you. The Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Because we are proclaiming what Christ has done. We have hearts of thankfulness, and this reminds us of all that we're thankful for in Christ. There's a sobering warning that goes with this observance, this sacred moment in the life of the church. Verse 27. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. 
Because this is something only for believers to do. If you are not sure you're a child of God, if you're not sure and you're convinced in your heart that you are a follower of Christ, I'd encourage you to come to observe this. Just stay where you're seated. No one's going to come talk to you. No one's going to come shame you. No one's going to look at you funny. This is only for those who are confident they're children of God. Not because of anything they've done, but because of what God has done for them. And I just encourage you to remain where you are. Friends, if you are a follower of Christ, you are welcome. We invite you to come express your thanksgiving to God as you celebrate this moment in the life of the church. Remembering what Christ has done, his body being broken, his blood being poured out so that we could have mercy and could have grace. Not just Thanksgiving season, but all of the time. Like it says in the scriptures, to examine yourself. It's a great time before you receive it to take some time and say, Holy Spirit, search me. Is there any unconfessed sin in my life? To even ask the question, Lord, am I expressing true thanks to you for all you've done? Is my thanksgiving rooted in worship of you? Lord, am I worshiping you? Even to ask those questions and ponder those and seek to worship the Lord. It's a great time to do that. That's why we observe it like we do it. You have time sitting in your seat before you come receive the elements to pray and reflect. And there's no rush to take it a certain time. You can remain in your seat as long as you want today to pray and talk to the Lord and do business. Lord, take time to let the Lord search your heart and speak to you. And deal with sin in your life before you celebrate this act of what the Lord is reminding us of today. So I'm going to pray for us. Then our praise team is going to come. And then our deacons will direct you to come receive the elements. Father God, our hearts are filled with thankfulness today. Lord, because we realize we deserve nothing from you except for judgment. Yet you have made a way for us to know you. To think that, Lord Jesus, you came and you lived a perfect life. You fulfilled the law that we can never fulfill. And you went to that cruel Roman cross. And you took all the wrath that should have been put on us. You took it yourself. And we might have forgiveness. We might have new life in you. And Lord, I pray today for everyone here who knows you, that this will be a time of great thankfulness, that you will just, your Holy Spirit will remind us of all that you've done for us. We'll be reminded through this very powerful visual symbol of the great cost there was to purchase our freedom. And I pray our hearts will overflow with awe and worship that you have drawn us near to you, you've given us this new life. Lord, I pray that you will be pleased as we say thank you this morning as we celebrate this together. And Lord, we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.